Well, as we uh, started talking about last week, we started talking about uh, tavern carols. And uh, I thought, well, maybe it's a little too early to talk about Christmas. But I've been watching you guys on social media, and a lot of your Christmas trees are already up. Who's already decorated their Christmas tree, by the way? Okay, I, I have. I've decorated mine, got the lights on the, tr- on, on the house. Haven't turned them on yet. I'm about two nights away from doing that. Uh, but uh, if, uh, if you haven't heard about Tavern Carols, I want to remind you about it. It's uh, December 2nd, and our band, we're going to go to Jay Gilligan's, and uh, Randy, the owner there, is going to set up all the tents and on the, uh, uh, on, on the parking lot there, and we're going to set up a stage and our sound system, and we're going to sing Christmas songs uh, and spread Christmas cheer. And uh, here's the reason why we do this event. The band's going to take the stage at 8 uh, you get there plenty of time, get you a seat. There's going to be plenty of seats and tables and plenty of standing room. Because um, I, I, when I sing, I got to stand. I can't sit. I got to stand. So, um, but uh, uh, the reason why we do this event is because we all have friends and family and coworkers and um, people that our kids play ball with that they may not ever come to, uh, to church with us on Sunday, uh, but they'll go to a bar with us and, uh, and they'll have a beer with us. And they're going to sing these songs because they know them. And then we give them the invite. Hey, if you don't go to church anywhere, we'd love for you to spend Christmas Eve with us or this Christmas season with us. And so we're going to partner with you uh, and uh, in inviting your friends and family to come to church. And so, and we do this and they hear the gospel and they'll hear it that night. They'll sing about it. And we just ask God to do what only God can do that night. So put it on your calendars, grab some of these cards. We have plenty of them. Uh, and uh, we'd love for you to start handing them out. As you, wherever you're going to lunch today, invite your waiter or waitress. Say, hey, come to Jay Gilligan's. And uh, as you go to work this week or you go to school or whatever, um, that uh, invite your friends to come with you that night. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful night. So uh, that being said, let's, uh, let's get back into John. Um, we, uh, we've been spending almost a whole year uh, going through the Gospel of John and uh, looking at the life of Jesus and the life that he calls us to uh, as his followers. And uh, Jesus has been training his disciples to uh, be ready to go out into the world and represent him. And and today we're going to see four things that need to ring true of us, that need to be true of us as followers of Jesus Christ as we go out and represent Jesus in the world. As we go to school tomorrow, these four things need to be, be true of us. When we go to work, when we go home, when, we, when we're out and about, these four things need to be true of us. And let me just give them to you up front. We'll unpack them as we go along. But these four things we're going to see in the scripture this morning uh, that are true of us, that the, a supernatural unity, a supernatural unity, a new identity, a continuous intimacy, and absolute certainty. So these four things need to read, ring true of us. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 21 this morning. John chapter 21. And as somebody pointed out to me, he said, oh, whoa, 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 wait a minute, Pastor, you were in John chapter 19 uh, last week, but you skipped John, cha- John chapter 20. Uh, and I'm like, well, you must have skipped Easter because that's when we hit John chapter 20. Uh, and so if, if, uh, if you're a little OCD and you need to go in order, uh, you can go to our website. You can watch uh, Easter, John chapter 20. It'll be on our social media this week uh, if you need to do that. But John chapter 21 is where we are. It's after the resurrection. 
uh, of Jesus. And uh, we'll be here this week and next week. But four things. And let's go ahead and jump in the first one, this supernatural unity um, that we have because of Jesus. Let's look at verses one through three. It said, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples. And by the, sea of, by the Sea of Galilee, it happened this way. Simon, Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, um, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two other disciples were together. Okay, underline that. They were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat. But, but that night, they caught nothing. So now, it, notice, it, it doesn't say that the disciples got together and went out and did ministry in the name of Jesus. It doesn't say they, they went out and planned an event, you know, in, in the name of Jesus. They, they just got together. They, they just wanted to be together as people do when they experience, you know, um, difficult circumstances and stressful situations. People just want to be together. And then Peter says, I'm going to go fish. And the reason why he said that is because he's a fisherman by trade. And he wants to do something that, that feels familiar. He wants to do something that he has a sense of control because his life has been turned upside down. The last 30 days have been this, this, um, uh, this roller coaster of emotion for him. You know, he saw his, his, uh, you know, his leader arrested and beaten and crucified. And, and now he's seen him twice uh, resurrected, and what does all that mean? And is this the real deal? Is this really happening? And and so he's trying to piece together. And so he's on a, he wants to re, you know he wants to do something familiar, just like when when stress hits our life or we go through difficult circumstances, or our life is turned upside down. We're just looking for something to control, right? We're looking for something to control. We're looking for something familiar that will give us the sense of control. And so sometimes we'll, uh, we'll want to cook something or bake something. Uh, I often want to eat something when the feel in control. Or uh, maybe, maybe for you it's clean the house or organize the shed. Or, you know, as my counselor tells me, hey, control circumstances, not people. And so I try to remember that, you know, when I'm stressed, I kind of go into control mode. And, and so Peter's just wanting to do something familiar to, to kind of write, you know, to feel kind of right, to feel like, okay, I am in control, which, you know, in, in, in theory, we're not. In reality, we're not. But, uh, but, if, but the disciples, you know, Peter says, I want to be, I want to go fishing. And they just said, hey, we want to, we just want to be together. We, we just want to hang out together. Now, if we went back and started over through John and started reading it, and, or if we look at the other Gospels, or if we just watched The Chosen, um, what, we're gonna, what we would see is that these disciples, they don't always get along, okay? I mean, they're constantly getting on each other's nerves. They're constantly bickering. They're constantly arguing with one another. And the reason why is because they have so many differences. They have difference of opinion. They're different people. They have different interests, different likes, but now we find them together and just wanting to be together. And the reason why they're able to set all their differences aside is because they've experienced the resurrected Christ. You see, too many times what gets in the way of our unity is that we'll start our conversations well, with, well, those people, those people who get on my nerves, 
Those people who think differently than me, those people who act differently from me, those people who root for a different team, you know, and get in my face when my team can't even score an offensive touchdown, you know, um, I guess nobody watched the Texas game last night. Well, you didn't miss anything. Um, you know, th- those people who vote differently from me. And th- these are the things that get in the way of this unity that you and I are called to as the body of Christ. But the church is full of, quote unquote, those people. But ha- have you and I ever stopped to consider that you and I are those people for other people? You see, we always want to, you know, put others and, and, you know, and accuse others. But, but really, a lot of times it's us. And, and, but here, here's what the risen Christ does for us. We're, we're, we're all different. We have different, you know, opinions and different interests and, you know, different backgrounds. But, but in Christ, we have so much more in common than we do difference. We have so much more in common than we do that, that we have not in common. For instance, uh, in Christ, okay, we are all sinners. Uh, We have all fallen short of the perfection of God. Uh, We are all find ourselves in this hopeless situation. We can't perform our way out of it. We can't earn God's, you know, God's grace or God's favor. Uh, We are all in desperate need of a savior. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our savior, we are all saved from our sins, not by something we've done, but by by putting our faith in what's been done for us. And we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in Christ, we have so much more in common than we do difference. And so because of the risen Christ, we can now have relationships with other people that maybe normally we wouldn't have relationships with. Now, now, let me just say this right here. This supernatural unity, it doesn't just happen. We have to work hard for it. We, 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 have, to, we have to work at it because here's the deal. We're going to hurt each other's feelings. We're going to offend one another if we live life close enough. If you stick around here long enough, I will make you one guarantee. At some point, I will disappoint you and I will fail you as your pastor. But when I do, I don't want you to get mad and leave the church. I want you to come over to my office. I want to sit down and, and, and I want, and gently, please do it gently because I'm a people pleaser, okay? Um, but, but I will feel awful because I let you down and disappointed you. But I promise you, I will own up to it and I will, I will humble myself and I will apologize and ask you to forgive me. And that's what we need to do with one another. We need to lock arms and we need to fight for our unity. I hope that you will pray for this supernatural unity for Gospel City Church, that we will all continue to, to, to look at the things that we have in common in Christ and not the things that we have, that, that we differ in. And that we would fight for it. And that we would pray for it that we would live it out. And it's not only this, this supernatural unity that we would have with one another, but we would also have this supernatural unity with other churches that preach Christ, the risen Christ, as the savior of the world, and that we would champion them and we would never say anything bad about another church, but would always be, you know, if we don't, as my mom used to say, you know, if we don't have anything good to say, don't say anything at all. And a lot of times I just sit in silence then. I don't have anything good to say, but but we need to speak well of other churches. We need to promote unity with one another. We need to promote unity in this body.
And so the supernatural unity should be a quality that, uh, that, is, that we're known for. We also have this new identity. Look at verses four through nine. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. And he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, by the way, okay? John likes to refer to himself as the one that Jesus loved. Now, he may have liked all the other guys, but I was the closest, okay? He wants to get that in one more time. Hey, it's the last chapter. I'm about to close things out, but I want everybody to know, go on record, I'm the one Jesus was closest to. So then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, who, by the way, was not the one that Jesus loved, uh, it is the Lord. So he wanted to go on record to say, hey, it was me. I was the first one who recognized that it's Jesus on the shore. It is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. And the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. And when they landed, they saw a fire burning, uh, burning coals, and there was fish on it and some bread. Now, the heart of this passage is the change, the transformation of Peter. One of the greatest contrasts in the Bible is to compare Luke chapter 5 in John chapter 21, to compare Peter of Luke chapter five and John chapter 21. And if we compared Luke chapter five and John 21, Luke chapter five is the calling of the first, first disciples. It's when Peter first meets Jesus, encounters Jesus. And, and there are several ways these, these passages are identical. In both, in both chapters, in both passages, the disciples are in a boat. In both passages, they, they're out fishing. In both passages, in both stories, they've been fishing all night. In both passages, they've been, they're in a boat fishing all night and they haven't caught anything. In both passages, they've been, they're in a boat, they've been fishing all night, they haven't caught anything. And, and Jesus says to them, throw the nets out one more time. And in both chapters, both Luke 5 and John chapter 1, 21, that not only were they in a boat, fishing all night, hadn't caught anything, Jesus tells them to throw their nets in on the other side, but there was a miraculous catch of fish in both chapters. Now here's the big difference. In Luke chapter five, Peter realizes that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one that God had promised um, to send to the people of Israel. And he goes up to Jesus and he falls to his knees and he says, get away from me for I am a sinner. I, in other words, I have no business being in your presence because you're the Holy One. He, he couldn't stand to be around the holy presence of Jesus. But here in John chapter 21, Peter is running to Jesus like a crazy man. He jumps out of the boat and he's, he's swimming and he's waiting and he, he, he can't get close enough to Jesus fast enough. But that's the effect. That's the impact that Jesus has on us. That Jesus did not come to help us live the life that we're already living and help us do a better job at it. Jesus came to make us a new creation to give us a whole new life and so the only response to the truth of who Jesus is should be extreme it, it, it should be you know either we need to run away from Jesus or we need to run to Jesus 
The, the, Peter's response was extreme. It was like, Jesus, get away from me in Luke chapter five, and Jesus, I can't get close enough to you in John 21. But the moment that, he, that Peter realizes that Jesus is who he says he is, his, his response was extreme. And he says, he says, Jesus, you are mine and I am yours. That needs to be our response. And Peter is showing us the results of meeting Jesus. He has a new self-image. He has a new identity. Now, there's one or two ways for you and I to get a new self-image, okay, or a new identity. The first way is for you and I to achieve it for ourselves. We can achieve a new identity. We can achieve a new self-image for ourselves. And if we choose this route, then, you know, this route is constantly trying to convince ourselves and others and to God that we are good enough. It's a self-image that's based on achievement and success and accomplishments. But here's the problem. If we're gonna go down this road and we're gonna try to achieve a self-image for ourselves, at some point we're gonna feel helpless and hopeless and threatened because we will run into something or someone that's better, richer, prettier, smarter, or thinner. It's a self-image that's built on our achievement. And here's the deal. Even if we achieve the top of the line, you know, if we achieve the greatest influence or the greatest power, we get to the top of our field and we're the boss. And that's our self-image. Well, sooner or later, we're not going to be the boss. Because sooner or later, we're either going to get fired or the company's going to sell or we're going to retire and we're not going to have that title anymore. If our self-image is our kid's you know, that, that we're mom or we're dad. Well, guess what? Those kids grow up and they leave the house eventually, hopefully, okay? But when they leave the house, our, if that's our self-image, all of a sudden our self-image is crushed because we built a self-image based on something that we achieved for ourselves. So, so that's, that's one way we could achieve it. But the other way is to receive it ourselves, that the gospel says that Jesus came to live the life we can't live and die the death that we deserve. That he came as our savior, not our example. And when we put our faith in Jesus, we become more loved and more accepted and more approved by the God of the universe, the creator of the universe. And so when we really get that in our hearts and our minds, yes, what people say about us and how they betray us and how they treat us, it may hurts. But when we take a step back and we remind ourselves that this is who God says I am, and I have all the approval and acceptance and security and significance and hope and love that I need, then who cares what they say? Because the God of the universe loves me, and he proved it by sending his son to the cross for my sins. It's a self-image that's received and not achieved. It's not a fragile identity that falls apart when we get in the presence of something or someone bigger or better. And the gospel says when we realize that we are saved by grace and we are given this new identity, that new identity becomes so much more sweeter because we realize it's a gift. I mean, you know how a gift makes you feel. When somebody gives you an unexpected gift, you know, that, that, that you would never, you know, buy it for yourself or do it for yourself, but they give it to you, it makes you feel so valued. That's what this new identity does for us when we receive it based on what Jesus has done for us. So, so that's this new identity we have. The third thing that should be 
marked by, by us is continuous intimacy. Look at verses 10 through 13. It says, Jesus said to them, bring some of your fish that you have just caught. And so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples there asked, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them and he did the same with the fish. Now, this invitation to eat, it was a big deal. And this first century culture to ask somebody to share a meal with you was a pledge of friendship. It was to say, hey, I want you to be my friend and I wanna be your friend. That's how serious it was to share a meal, to invite somebody to, to eat with you. And Jesus is extending this, this intimate invitation to them. Now, when we look back at, at Luke chapter five, we see this miraculous catch of fish, just like we do here. But, but here's the big difference between Luke five and John 21. In Luke five, Jesus, where's Jesus? Jesus is inside the boat, okay? And John 21, Jesus is on the shore. And it's almost as Jesus wants us to know that don't you dare think for one minute that these things, these great things happen because they were in my physical presence. That Jesus wants us to know that, that we don't have to be in the physical presence. We don't have to be physically with Jesus for him to do great things in us and get great things through us. In other words, we can be close to Jesus all of the time without being in his physical presence. Why? Because we have the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in Jesus, that God puts his spirit in us. And so we can have community. We can have a relationship with him 24-7 all the time. It, it, we don't have to go anyplace. We don't have to go to church to have this connection, this relationship with Jesus. But it's this continuous intimacy. It's this continuous enjoyment of, of the love and joy and, and courage that we feel in his presence. It's this continual intimacy that we have when we pray to him about what's troubling us, that we consistently and continually feel our burdens being lifted off our shoulders because we're constantly going to him as our father and saying, please help me with this. It's a continual intimacy that we have through the Holy Spirit. It should, be, it should be marked in our lives. And the last thing, the last quality or characteristic is this absolute certainty. Look at verse 14. It says, this was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. You see, Jesus is giving the disciples this, this mental clarity, this mental certainty, this absolute certainty that he rose from the dead. This is the third time that Jesus appeared to his disciples uh, after, after the resurrection. And John is keeping record so that his readers would know that they really did see Jesus. They really saw Jesus resurrected. And these guys, they had to be absolutely certain that Jesus had risen from the dead because Jesus had been equipping them and preparing them to go out and represent him in the world. And all of these guys, except for one, were gonna be executed because they went out preaching the name of Jesus. They had to be absolute certain that this really happened for them to endure the hardship that they endured. 
And we may say, well, okay, well, I understand how they could be absolutely sure because they were in the physical presence of Jesus, but how can we 2,000 years later be, be absolutely confident that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead? Well, what we do is we go to the gospel accounts. That the gospel writers, they, they write with such detail about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that if we read it carefully and we read it reflectively and we read it with this investigative mindset, that we can have this, certain, this absolute certainty that Jesus did indeed rise from the dead. Because as we read the Gospels, the, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, e each writer, they give such details. They give specific names of people who saw Jesus uh, after, after, you know, uh, risen Jesus. Uh, they give specific locations. They give specific times. And the reason why they did this is because these letters were going to be, these Gospels were going to be uh, circulated just, you know, 25 to 30 years after the, the account happened. And so there were still people living. And so if somebody read that and said, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if Jesus really did come back from the dead. You know, and then somebody can say, oh, yeah, no, it's true. In fact, I know a guy who knows a guy. He works with this guy that's mentioned here, and let's go ask him. And so they could go to this town and say, hey, you know, did, did you really see Jesus, the resurrected Jesus? Say, oh, yeah, I saw him. And it wasn't just me. It was also, you know, Jojo over there. He also saw him. Go talk to him. So they go and do their investigative work. And they, in fact, they say, hey, it wasn't just me. It was 500 people. In fact, there's this whole family that saw them. Go talk to them. You see, and they did this because that way people could do their investigative work. Because if this wasn't true, it would have never made it out of the first century. It never would have made it out. It would have just been a myth, an urban legend that we read about. And, and, and somebody, well, you know, maybe the disciples, you know, stole the body and conjured up the story. They weren't smart enough for that. They weren't that, they weren't that smart. They weren't that clever. Besides, nobody's going to be executed over a lie. These guys, they were tortured. And you would think at some point, one of these guys would say, whoa, 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 no more, no more, uncle, uncle. Okay, okay, I, I, I admit it, we, we made it all up. We stole the body of Jesus and we buried him here and you can go and dig up his body, but please, no more torture. You would think that one of them would at least said that, but you know, none of them did because they knew it was true. So let's read the gospels. Another way we can be absolutely certain is we can ask the Holy Spirit, Ask the, and remember the Holy Spirit, he's the great advocator. He comes alongside of us and he points us to Jesus. His job is to, is, is to point us to Jesus. And so when we pick up the scriptures and we say, Holy Spirit, will, will you show me you know, if this is true, would you help me apply this to my life? You know what the Holy Spirit says? He says, absolutely I will. I get fired up when people ask me to do my job. You know, it's like when somebody asks you to do something that you really enjoy doing, it's like, a, it's like an emphatic, yes, yes, I'll do that. And that's what the Holy Spirit's job is to point us to Jesus. And so if you're struggling with something about scripture, say, Holy Spirit, would you show me the truth in this scripture? Yes, I will. Now get ready for what he may show you. Because what he shows us will probably sometimes 
will confront us about some things in our lives. And we're like, oh yeah, remember that song? All my heart, all my life, all my soul. Well, hey, this part here in your life doesn't align with this, so let's do something about this. And another way to know with absolute certainty is our brothers and sisters. There are times that I come in here, I've had a rough week, and I'm down on myself, and I'm, you know, I'm just having questions and really discouraged, and then you guys start singing and reminding me who Jesus is and what he's done for me, and all of a sudden, that burden seems a little lighter. So we have our brothers and sisters. We, 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 we hear the word of God taught that, that we're, we, we get a small group of people around us that know us well enough, that know our hearts, and, and who are gonna say, whoa, 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 hey, remember the other day you said this about this person? That's not cool, man. We're supposed to have, we're supposed to have supernatural unity. That didn't promote unity. So if there's something there, maybe you need to go work it out with them. I'll go with you if you, want, if you need me to. We need to work that out. So whoa, 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 remember? Remember, I mean, this is what I'm seeing, and... Yeah, when you did this, I mean, we need people to point us to Jesus. That's how we can know. So as the band comes, let me just ask you this. Maybe as we are talking about supernatural unity, maybe a broken relationship popped up in your, in your head. Maybe that's the fact that you're hungry, you didn't eat breakfast, or maybe it's the Holy Spirit saying, whoa, if we're going to live that out, maybe you need to go to that person. They don't even know. They don't even know that you're mad at them. Some of us are like, man, I'm, I, the holidays are coming up. That means I got to bring around cousin Eddie, and you know, I managed to avoid him last year. And now, I'm not talking about putting ourselves in places of people who have hurt us or wounded us, but but a lot of times we we just hold things against people. Maybe maybe we just maybe. We, First, before God, confess that. And then ask the Holy Spirit, hey, what do I need to do? Do I need to go make this right with this person? Do we have supernatural unity? What about this new identity? There's so many times I'm trying to prove myself to myself, to you guys, to others. And I forget just to receive Maybe we just need to go on this search and the word of God and just listen to what Jesus says about me instead of social media or what Jesus says about me instead of what other people say about me. What about this continuous intimacy? Do we, do we have that ongoing relationship? And do I know more about Jesus now than I did six months ago? Am I, am I less freaked out about things than I was six months ago? Am I more patient than I was six months ago? Because that's growth and that's a product of this continual intimacy. And do I have absolute certainty? Am I absolutely certain that God is who he says he is and he can do what he says he can do? And probably the litmus test of that is when a difficult circumstance or pain or tragedy strikes our life, do I freak out? Or do I say, whoa, 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 okay, okay. I need to remind myself just who God is and how big he is. And yes, this is painful and I hate that this happened and this is tragic. But God, I'm holding on 
to the, your promise that you will never nor forsake me. And I'm holding on to the promise that this didn't surprise you and that somehow, some way, you will use this for my good and for your glory. But right now, this just hurts.